Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon Isyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to forgive them for they do not know what they do and they divided his garments and cast lots and the people stood looking on but even the rulers with them sneered saying he saved others let him save himself if he is the Christ the chosen of God the soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and saying if you are the king of the Jews save yourself and an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek Latin and Hebrew this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Praise God. That was Alyssa, and uh, in case you think that all the staff is le leaving, Alyssa has been on our staff for the last three weeks. She is now over all the promotion of the church and um, the media side of the church, and uh, she's a wonderful young lady, and we're blessed to have her. And uh, yes, let's give her a welcome right now. Can I just say that um, at the end of service, um, we will be taking another offering. We're calling it the dollar offering. We were introduced to this from the church that Andy is going to. And um, while he was telling us about that, uh, when he was uh, explaining to us that he was leaving, um, I just felt the Lord say that we should take a dollar offering here today on his last day with us and that we give it to him, not for himself, but to give to that church to add to their dollar offering. Uh, so that we are sending blessing to Nashville as we send Andy and Terry their way as well. And so this offering that we're taking, and we're only saying you only need to put a dollar into it. Uh, if you are generous and want to give more, then God bless you. But um, uh, we, we are going to take that offering, not for Andy, but for uh, sending down there uh, to Nashville to say to that church, you're receiving the son of our house with our blessing and we want to bless your dollar offering as well. Amen? And uh, 
I believe God will bless us for that. Now, um, after service this morning, if you want to meet with either uh, Scott and Amy and their family or Andy and his family, uh, they are going to be down in the gathering grounds right after service, and I believe that you will get a free cupcake too. So uh, uh, it's worth going down even if it's for the cupcake. But um, go and give them a big hug and uh, bless them as they go on their journey. Andy will actually be leaving tomorrow to uh, go down to Nashville and start work on Tuesday. And, uh, and so uh, for many of you, this will be the last time you'll see him uh, until he comes back visiting us, uh, uh, which I know is going to happen as well. Well, you know, today um, we are just four weeks away from Easter Sunday. Uh, I'm told that that's the season where most people invite other people to church uh, and that it is one of the biggest days of church attendance um, that happens in the Christian calendar, apart maybe from Christmas, which is challenging Easter now, uh, with the number of people that come out to church on those times. This morning, I want to encourage you not only to invite people to our Easter uh, gatherings that will happen on that Easter weekend, but also this morning, I want to challenge you to tell people about Jesus. How many know it's one thing to tell people about a church, but it's another thing to tell people about Jesus? And I want you to be encouraged to do that. We are living in an age, um, though, uh, when not only do the unchurched not know much or anything about Jesus, sadly, we're also in an age when many Christians don't understand the whole message of the Bible. I, I was with a gentleman just recently, and, and he said to me, he says, you know, I only read the New Testament. And I said, you're only having half a meal. I said, you can't understand the New Testament unless you read the Old Testament. But there are many people who do not understand that the coming of Jesus and what happened in his lifetime and what happened at the cross and what happened at the resurrection is just the central part of a whole story that's told right throughout the Scripture. So I want to make Easter real for us this year and in so doing, give you an incentive to uh, gather with me to tell people the whole story of what is happening at the cross of Jesus and why we celebrate Good Friday and why we celebrate Resurrection Day on Easter Sunday. You see, unless you understand the whole message that is running through the Bible, you will never understand the story of the cross. The story of the cross will be the death of an innocent man to you, and that will be all that it's about. And more than that, you will not understand the continuing story of Jesus throughout the New Testament into church history and right down to today. You see, firstly, we need to understand that Jesus came to solve a huge problem. If we don't understand the size of the problem, we will never grasp the hugeness of the solution of the problem. Unless you understand how massive the problem was, 
you will never understand the hugeness of the love of God in solving the problem. Now, to understand the size of the problem, we have to go right back to the opening pages of the Bible, and we go right back to the Garden of Eden. It, it was interesting to me, and, and uh, eye-opening to me, to run a parallel of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Garden of Eden, and then what happened at the cross. And, and I'm going to put it on the screen because it was still so stark to me what happened. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced man guilty of sin. In the story of the cross, man pronounces God guilty of sin. In the Garden of Eden, God drives man out of the garden. And at the story of the cross, man drives God out of their city carrying a cross. In the Garden of Eden, God pronounces the sentence of death on mankind because of sin. In the story of the cross, man pronounces the sentence of death on God. Crucify him. See, in the story of the cross that Alyssa read to us today, mankind's rebellion against God comes to a huge culmination and comes to its full fruition. See, it was not just the taking of the apple way back in the Garden of Eden or whatever fruit that was that they took. It was mankind's hatred and rebellion against God that came alive in the Garden of Eden. Back then in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't so much that they took the fruit it was that they were now saying, I'm not going to have you to rule over me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God, I no longer own you as God of my life. And I'm going to do my own thing. And it bred into every one of us. It's come down the generations. God, you're not going to rule over me. And you're not going to have any authority in my life. It's an attitude that is within every one of us so that now we resist any move by God to have absolute authority over our lives. You see, it's an overriding part of our nature that accepts God, that God is good, and we accept that God is love, but He can't rule my life. It is that I accept that he's a good God and he's a loving God, but he's not going to rule my life. And so now we come to these very simple but very uh, uh, meaning, uh, not meaningful, but very crucial words that happen in Luke 23, verse 33, where it says, they crucified him. So much put into so few words. They crucified him. In Mark's story of the cross, he tells us that it was that Jesus was on the cross for six hours. In Luke's version of the cross, he tells us what happened in those six hours. In, in so doing, he, he gets to the very heart of what the Christian faith is all about. He, he wants us to see three things. He wants us to see how forgiveness is released. 
He wants us to see how paradise is opened. And he wants us to see how death is subdued at the cross. He begins in Luke 23, 34, where he records the words of Jesus when he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We, we, it's so important that you see what's happening here. Because Jesus is putting himself squarely under the judgment of God. And to understand that, you have to go back again to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, remember that after Adam and Eve had sinned, God now faces them and he's going to pronounce judgment on everyone involved. And so he begins with the snake, Satan. This one who is the tempter and the originator of man's rebellion. And he says to Satan, cursed are you. Genesis 3.14, cursed are you, Satan. Then he comes to Adam, and Adam is standing there cringing, because now he's expecting the judgment of God to fall on him. Now he has expected something to happen, and, and he expects that curse to now come on him as it has gone on Satan, that serpent. He is now waiting, cringing, for the curse to come on him. And then he hears God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. And God has diver diverted his judgment off Adam onto the ground. And friends, if you want to understand what's happening with earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and on and on, that started happening right after God cursed the ground and didn't curse Adam. Our planet has suffered every day since that because the earth took the curse intended for Adam. It fell on the ground. And then that principle is seen throughout the Old Testament. When sin is committed, God diverts the penalty to give the sinner time to be reconciled to him. When sin is committed, God diverts the penalty. You know, there's another story, a wonderful story of this happening in the Old Testament. You know that God had commanded, you will have no other gods besides me. Well, the people had rebelled against this and had made a golden calf. The story goes, at least the story as they put it, was this. We, we got all this gold and we threw it in the fire and lo and behold, a golden calf jumped out. God knew what happened. Now because of the fact that they had turned to an idol, the judgment of God was now going to come on them because of their sin. Moses, who was their leader, uh, he now decides something has to happen to stop God destroying them. So he goes up the mountain to meet with God, and as he's up there, uh, he says, Oh God, please forgive their sin, but if it's not possible, then blot my name out of your eternal book. He was saying, Lord, divert the judgment that is coming on the people because they have sinned, unto me. 
He says, God, I, I beg of you. He says, let me take your judgment uh, uh, so that the people will not have to face your judgment. He was saying, I'm willing to be wiped out. Send me to hell in their place. Just as you diverted your judgment off Adam onto the ground, then divert the judgment deserved by this people off them and onto me. It was an amazing offer of self-sacrifice. Strike me down, God. Let your judgment fall on me so that the people might be saved. Well, God couldn't accept Moses' offer because Moses had his own sin. If there was going to be a sacrifice for sin, it had to be a sinless sacrifice. Therefore, God couldn't bear uh, to bear uh, the, uh, the 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 Moses couldn't bear his sins before God and be a, a, a now a sinless sacrifice for sins. And so God comes uh, to him and he says, well, "This is what we will do." He says, "We will take an animal and we will put an animal on an altar." And at that altar, the animal will now become the sacrifice for the people's sin. And the judgment will fall on that animal and not on the people. The blood of the sacrificial animal for the people's sin uh, will now save them. And we can carry on in the journey in the wilderness. So the judgment of God on the sin of the people was diverted off the people onto that animal that was sacrificed on that altar. Here's another quick story. It's found in the Old Testament. This story took place on top of Mount Carmel. And uh, there was a whole load of God's people who had defied God. They'd done their own thing. And now God's ready to pour out his judgment. The prophet Elijah was there and had seen all the sorts of stuff that was going on against God and his will. And the time come when God's judgment was going to fall and fire would fall from heaven. How many know when fire falls from heaven, we're all getting burned? (laughs) But once again, the altar is built. And a sacrifice was put on an altar. And this man, the prophet Elijah, he wanted to prove God's power and how mighty God is and able to do amazing things in judgment. And what he did was, he not only built an altar, he not only, he not only put a sacrifice of an animal on the altar, but he dug a trench around the altar. And then the story goes that he, he, he poured buckets and buckets and buckets of water over the altar. And then he comes before God. And it is that God came like a lightning rod and consumes the sacrifice. It was a fiery pillar that came and hit that sacrifice. And I want to tell you, it not only hit the sacrifice, it licked up all the water and it left just a, a, a trench and a charred mess around the altar. It was so directed at that sacrifice for the people's sins. But the people themselves were untouched because the judgment of God was diverted off the people onto the sacrificial lamb on the altar. Once again, 
God diverts his judgment and totally and deliberately missed the people and hit the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, wherever you read of a sacrificial lamb, wherever you read of an animal being sacrificed on an altar, it is pointing forward to another altar. It is pointing forward to another sacrifice. It is pointing forward to a time when a sinless, spotless lamb, the Son of God, would be sacrificed on a cross. Every time you read in the Old Testament of people sinning and now coming before God and God now diverting his judgment in not pouring judgment on the people but pouring judgment on that sacrifice that's on that altar, it is pointing to the cross. It is pointing to the moment when the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God would be on the cross for you and my sin. And as you gaze at the cross, as you gaze at the cross, mankind has reached to the pinnacle of rebellion and sin. They've actually crucified the Son of God. They've not only defied God's commandments, They've not only devalued God's name, but now they have crucified God's Son. Mankind had never gone so deep in rebellion. Mankind had never committed such a despicable act. Now surely, surely as Christ is on the cross, surely now God will come and now judgment is going to fall on the people for what they have done to His Son. Surely now God will send fire from heaven and consume the people as they stand in their arrogance of crucifying his son. But suddenly there's a voice heard. And Jesus, in effect, cries out, Let your judgment fall on me. Don't let it fall on them. Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they do. Let me be the sacrifice. Let me be the target. Divert your judgment off them unto me. And let me die in their place. Father, please, please forgive them. And so it was. That's what happened. It says in Luke 23, 44. Now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Darkness covers the land and the judgment of God that should have been poured out on mankind was now poured out on him, the Son of God. The judgment of God that should have come because of the atrocities of mankind's sin now comes upon the only one who had never, ever sinned. The, divert, the, the diverted judgment of God, the penalty and the judgment of sin of mankind's past and of our sin in the present. All of our sin was now laid on him 
and God diverted his judgment meant for me onto him and meant for you onto him. He died and took your punishment. He took your judgment. He died in your place on the cross of Calvary. Darkness covers the earth. And Jesus experienced sin, which he had never experienced until that moment. Our sin, everyone's sin, now falling on him. All of mankind's sin coming on his shoulders. He takes all our shame and all our sin and all our pain. And all hell breaks loose against him. All hell breaks loose against him. And now he experiences even the hell of his father turning away from him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Christ isolated and alone under the judgment of God. That is the heart of the gospel, friends. When Jesus died on the cross, he was diverting God's judgment from your life onto his own life. He was diverting God's judgment of my life and onto his own life. He died in our place. He suffered in agony alone and he faced hell alone. And it's all because he loves us. Father, Father, forgive them. Judge me. Forgive them. If you have accepted this story and believe in your heart, you're included in this. Jesus died for you. Jesus took your judgment. He diverted your judgment and the penalty of your sin off your shoulders and your life onto himself. And he took your sin and your sorrows and he made them his very own. And he bore it to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. He died in our place so that forgiveness could be released. Not only forgiveness released, but paradise is open. Do you remember that huge problem for mankind was not only that they were guilty of sin and under God's judgment. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were driven out of the Garden of Eden and it was called the Paradise of God. It, it was a wonderful place, was the Garden of Eden. They had an amazing life in the garden there. They had direct relationship with God and they literally walked with God every day. Oh, I mean, I mean, they saw him. Now, personally, and, and don't ask me to give you scripture and verse for this, but I believe that the one they walked with in the Garden of Eden was Jesus now personified in the Garden of Eden because it says they talked with him and saw him. They literally walked and talked with him every day. When it came to their marriage, their marriage was perfect too. They had no suspicion, only trust and innocence. But when they made the choice to rebel and sin against God, they were driven out of the garden and away from the manifest presence of God. And there was no way back. An angel guarded the way to make sure there was no way back. They were driven out of the presence of God. 
And throughout the generations of the Old Testament, there is this cry going up from every succeeding generation. How can we get back into the presence of God? Right throughout the Old Testament, this cry goes up. How can we get back what Adam and Eve lost? How can we get back to the time of walking and talking with God? How can we experience the presence of God like our first fathers experienced before they were driven out of the garden? And then Jesus came. And he started saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is making a way back into paradise. He is making a way back into the presence of God. You remember in the story of the cross, there were three crosses, one on either side of Jesus. On them are two criminals dying for their crimes. They had wasted their life in sin. One of these criminals, he just heaps abuse on Jesus. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal, he recognizes that he is about to fall under the judgment of God. He realizes that the one on the center cross is pure and perfect. And he recognizes Jesus for who he is. And he cries out in verse 42 of that scripture. He says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Look what it says. Jesus said to him in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. In paradise. Oh, I want to tell you, from, from the time that Adam sinned and was driven out of the garden, the presence of God was closed up to mankind. It was closed up from mankind in the way that God wanted it because God wanted closeness. He wanted men and women to walk with him and to talk with him. He wanted men and women to experience his presence with them every day. But on the cross, friends, what Adam lost, Jesus now opened up to us again. And now we can know the presence of God with us every day of our lives because paradise has been opened up to us again. We can know his presence with us every day. And get this, get this. We will one day be in his presence forevermore and faith will be lost by sight. We will see Jesus and we will be in the presence of God forever. And to that I say, hallelujah. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! This world is not my home. And the first man, the first man into that eternal presence of God was the thief on the cross. If one sinner's got there, there's hope for me. He got there. He, the law of the land had caught him, and he suffered at the hand of human law. But the eternal judgment of God had been diverted from him. It had fallen on Jesus. And now paradise was opened up to him. And friends, for us who are here today, our sin calls for us to be in the caverns of the dam forever. 
cut off from the presence of God forever. Our sin calls for us to be lost forever. But Jesus, Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And the judgment that was my judgment was diverted onto him. And now paradise is open to me. I am not a hell-bound sinner. I am a heaven-bound saint of God. We are going to heaven one day. So forgiveness is released. And paradise is opened. One final thought. Death is subdued. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament calls death a dark valley that we have to walk through. And it's a true picture. Dark valleys. How many know dark valleys are are scary places? They often hide enemies that are lurking in the shadows and ready to pounce on us and hurt us. But let me tell you that on the cross, when Jesus took the judgment of God, where he was surrounded by evil demonic forces and was alone and abandoned by his Father, where he took the full weight of our sin, he encountered all the dimensions of hell so that we would never have to encounter all the dimensions of hell. He faced up to every dark, evil enemy in that valley of death. He faced up to every dark enemy that ever lined that dark valley of death. And he cleared them out, friends. He cleared out every dark enemy in the valley of the shadow of death. So that when we face death... I want to tell you, you will never walk as a Christian. You will never walk through the valley of death and fear no evil, friends. Because I want to tell you, Jesus has cleared everything of the enemy out of the valley of death. And we will know light and not darkness. Listen, the light of the world. Jesus Christ has lit up the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> I was reading of a famous atheist on his deathbed dying and he suddenly says things are getting so dark. They're getting so dark. And he began to scream out. It's so dark. I was with a aged lady passing And one of her family said to her, is it dark in the valley of death? And she said, no, it's getting lighter and lighter. She says, I just see light and it's glorious. I can't wait to get through this. I want to go where that light is leading me to. He has cleared out. He has subdued death. This is what the apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has subdued death. I want to tell you, friends, Christians do not go through a dark valley of death. The Son of God, the light of the world, has opened up the valley of death. And subdue death. So he faced darkness. 
And then suddenly the darkness is over. And Jesus cried, It is finished. He wasn't, hey, 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 listen, listen. He didn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. It was a triumphant shout. Everything that God had given him to do at that moment at the center of history, at that moment, friends, when all mankind was looking on and not knowing what was going on, but the fact was the judgment of God has come upon him. He has now released forgiveness. He has now opened paradise. He has now subdued death. And now there's nothing left to do. It's finished. I've done everything that has been needed to be done so that you can know salvation and that you can get to heaven. Jesus has released forgiveness. Anyone here been forgiven by Jesus? Oh, yeah. He's released forgiveness. Oh, yeah. You can do better than that. Hey, 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 listen, listen. How many of you, how many of you would say, if the people around me only knew what I was like before Jesus forgive me, they wouldn't want to sit near me. But Jesus, Jesus has for released forgiveness. Is open paradise. That's what we felt when we were singing that song earlier on about the presence of God being here. Oh, we are people who live in the presence of God. He has opened paradise to us and he has robbed death of its fear he has subdued death all for you and all for me so I just have a couple of questions to close can I ask you this morning have you ever accepted his forgiveness have you ever seen before that on the cross Jesus said forgive him Forgive her. And on the cross, Jesus took your judgment. Have you ever seen that? That that God diverted his judgment of you onto Jesus. And he died in your place. Have Have you ever come to the place where you've accepted his forgiveness? Now let me tell you this. Some of you have been forgiven, but you've not forgiven yourself. I have a question. What right have you to not forgive yourself when Jesus has forgiven you? You have no right not to forgive yourself. He took your sins on the cross. And can I ask you, do you walk in the presence of God? Have you opened your life up and now my sins are forgiven and now the presence of God is something that I in joy every day of my life. That I can talk with him and walk with him and know his presence with me every day of my life. Have you experienced that yet? And and let me ask you this. Has he taken the fear of death out of you? Has death been subdued for you? Robbed of all its darkness and its fear? tell you this morning he wants to take away all your fears he wants you to know that you're his child 
And so before I close, is there anyone here today? I'm not going to ask us to bow in prayer. If God has spoke to you, you will respond. But is anyone here today that says, I can't say that I've accepted his forgiveness, but this morning I want to accept his forgiveness. I want you to just put your hand up. Yeah, God bless you back there. Anyone else? I want to accept the forgiveness of Jesus this morning. Is there anyone else? Just raise your hand. On the balcony, I'm looking up in the balcony. Anyone? Those who raise their hand, will you do me the great favor? Just come up the front here. I'm, I want to meet you at the front here. Don't, don't be afraid to come. Yeah, I saw you raise your hand. Don't be afraid to come. And, and I, I want to pray with you. Yeah, come on. Anyone here today? Say, John, I've walked away from this. I've been living as if I'm God and not Him as God, and I've backslidden. I've drifted away. I've gone away from God. But today I feel His presence drawing back. Is there anyone that will raise your hand and say, Yeah, that's me. I need to come right back to God this morning. Receive His forgiveness and forgiveness and a new day from the life. Is there anyone else? Anyone here? Let me ask you. Anyone here walking in the fear of death? I just feel God saying that I've got to break that curse from off you. You've been walking in the fear of death. Is that you? Just put your hand up if you've had a fear of death. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, Come up front. Come up front. Is there anyone else? Fear is a terrible thing. It'll control your life. I'm going to break that in the name of Jesus. I've got authority to break that in the name of Jesus. name of Jesus. That's right. Don't be afraid. He breaks the power of sin. He breaks the fear of death. You're not walking in darkness into the future. You're walking in light into the future. He breaks the chains of death. I just say this finally. If there's anyone that says, deep inside, I feel I should be on my knees at that altar. You may have been a Christian a long time, but this morning God has spoke to you. I want you to get up and come and join these right now here. If God has spoke to you and is drawing you to this altar. That's right. Don't be afraid. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh, I love him this morning, friends. I want you to know I love him this morning. He's no figment of my imagination. He's real. And I know it's going to be real for you. In the name of Jesus. Yeah. Maybe right now, some of the prayer team will come and just stand behind these as I pray. In the name of Jesus. Oh God. Oh God, your presence is so thick here right now. I can hardly able to stand. fact, I'm going to kneel before you. God's here, friends. A 
there's something supernatural happening right now. People are bringing their sins to an altar. God's diverting the judgment that is due on them onto Jesus. And they are forgiven. You who have carried great sins and you've wondered whether or not you are forgiven, God wants you to know that on the cross, Jesus utterly took your sin and you are forgiven. The prayer of Jesus has been answered. Forgive her. Forgive him. Let your judgment come on me. And God poured his judgment on Christ so he would never pour his judgment on you. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. From this moment, from this moment, the presence of God, paradise is open to you. You can talk with God like you've never talked with God. You're going to sense His presence with you when you are alone or when you're with a crowd. You're going to sense that God is with you, that you're never going to be alone again. And He has now lit up the valley of the shadow of death. And death has lost its sting. I break the fear of death in the name of Jesus. I flood your life with light right now. The truth of God's word is that you will not die, you will live. The word of God is that you will not die, you will live. Absent from the body, immediately present with the Lord. You will not go through any valley of the shadow of death. You will go straight into the eternal presence of God. I break the chains of death from you right now set you free in Jesus name to everyone kneeling at this altar and you've walked with God a time and now you're back at the altar God says from this moment you are forgiven from this moment walk in the power and the fire of God walk in the truth of the gospel and say my sin my sin which should cause the judgment of God to come has been diverted onto Christ and I am forgiven. Stand folks, stand with me right now and start saying it to yourself. I am forgiven. Start saying it now. Come on, say it. I am forgiven. Let it drop from your head to your heart. The sin that should have taken you to hell has been diverted onto Jesus and you are forgiven. Shout it out. I am forgiven. Now give God praise here this morning. Hallelujah. 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 We magnify your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, Father, as we dismiss from this place, thank you for your awesome, awesome presence. Now let this people go from this place determined to tell the story that their sin which should have taken them to hell was diverted to Jesus on the cross and they are forgiven and what Jesus has done for them he can do for the whole wide world oh God let them carry the message of Easter I pray and we'll give you the praise and all the glory and God's people said out loud Amen and Hallelujah come on 
Hallelujah. God be with you. God bless you.